time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Let's pray. Almighty God, I stand by faith tonight that you will provide. Lord, I cannot provide. But Lord Jesus, I trust you to provide. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your name. Amen. I have this strange idea that I was raised with from childhood that somehow I was supposed to come to God and he was going to do something for me. I was going to go to church and be blessed. I was going to go to church and receive a refueling so my tank wouldn't be empty. I was going to go and be inspired and lifted so I could go out and face the world for another week. In my adult life, I simply haven't found that to be true. I hope you've not come here because you're tired and you want to be recharged. Because my guess is you're not going to be recharged. What I have to say to you tonight is going to be quite draining. It's not easy. You see, there's worldly worship. And worldly worship says we come into the presence of God and we sing songs and we praise his name. We worship him. But in the midst of that, what we're really doing is encouraging ourselves and inspiring ourselves. And so we want to come into worship to get something. But by definition, worship is coming to give something, not to get something. Now, here's the problem I face. I come teaching you this word. That's a problem for me. Because the only way I can come teaching you this word is if I've been in this word. And I'm afraid to get into the word. I'm doing it. But I'm afraid. Let me tell you what I'm afraid of. As soon as I begin to get more deeply into the word of God, he starts to speak to me. And he sparked, he starts to speak to me about things he wants me to release to him. And he begins to test my heart to see if I will obey him. Until I come to a place where I'm afraid to get down and read the word and pray because of what he might ask me for next. I hurry past some parts of scripture. I don't want to tarry there for fear he might talk to me about it. I'm almost gleeful when I can get past certain parts. Because I know a day is coming when he may speak to me about those parts. I mean, for example, what would happen if he spoke to me and said, from now on, stop shaving, dress in sackcloth, let your hair grow. You're going to be John the Baptist. Now, I hurry past John the Baptist. I don't tarry there at all, lest he speak to me. Do you hurry too? Are you shy of even getting into the word for fear of what God might say to you? If you're not, you haven't been in the word. Because those God loves, he tests. 
And when God begins to look at me and say, I'm going to test you, my spirit is terrified. Because when he starts testing me, everything gets uncovered. And I can't pretend anymore. Genesis 22 has these terrifying words. God tested Abraham. You notice he didn't test him when his name was Abram. He tested him when his name was Abraham. He had received the promised son. He had received the son of promise. He was past the Ishmaelite. He was past the son of the Egyptian handmaiden. He was walking in the spirit now. He had birthed a child of promise. And now God's going to test him. I mean, God had tested him by, by having him come to the promised land. And he promptly obeyed and said, okay, I'll go to this land. And of course, when he got there, God had created a famine in the land. And his immediate response was, I'm headed to Egypt. We excuse that because he was the young and inexperienced person who was just beginning to follow the Lord God of heaven. And and some of us just know right up front, as soon as God says something to us, he's going to bring a famine. When we arrive where God said we were supposed to be, there won't be anything. The brook will dry up because God wants to know if we're going to pack up and head to Egypt and pick up our Hagar's. So we can fulfill our own deal, deal, our own obligation. We're We're going to produce ourselves what God has promised because God can't bring about what he's promised. So we go to Egypt and pick up our Hagar's and that's when we're young and inexperienced. And of course, Abraham is tested once more when the armies sweep in and take Lot captive, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He rises up in the power of the spirit and goes out with a mighty sword, slays the invaders, gives a tenth of everything to this high priest, Melchizedek. What an awesome victory. And we say now we see the mature man of God. No longer is he lusting after things. No longer is he desirous of the best place. He is willing to humble his heart and step back. Now we see a man that God can use. And then he goes for his... Egyptian handmaiden, and for a number of years, God doesn't even talk to him. God just puts him in the freezer. Now, I need to say this to mature people. There are consequences for sin. And one of the consequences for sin is that God may set you in the freezer, and he's just not there anymore for a while. He just doesn't talk for a while. The obedience isn't forthcoming. We've decided to take our Egyptian handmaiden and create for ourselves our own Ishmael's. And he simply puts us in the freezer and doesn't talk. You notice God did not talk much to Isaac. Didn't talk much to Isaac. Dealt a lot more with Jacob. Because Jacob was willing to fight with him. Now God is going to test Abraham. He is an old man mature in the ways of the Lord, and God is now going to test him. So he speaks. 
the 22nd chapter of Genesis, take your son, your only son, your only son. Remember, the son of Hagar has been sent away from the camp. He has lost this son of the Egyptian handmaiden. There are some testings God wants to bring into your life that he can't bring into your life as long as you have in your household your sons of Hagar. Because if he tests you with the sons of Hagar, you will fail. And he will then be forced to put you in the freezer. And he won't be able to speak to you. And in his mercy, there are some testings he won't bring until you are willing to cut off those sons of Egypt. So it says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. In other words, there's no room here for him to waffle and say, but God, didn't you know I love my son? No, the son you love. I know you love him. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, this mature man of God immediately obeys. This is new behavior for Abraham. Many times in the past, he did not immediately step out and obey. He had to think about it for a while. But now he knows the ways of God, and he steps out immediately into what God is calling him to do. He says, yes. I suspect he did not get Sarah's permission. I'm going to speak to you men. There are some things you don't get your wife's permission about. You just do them. And one of those things you don't get your wife's permission for is to obey the word of the living God. You just do it and let it settle out however it's going to settle out. There are some things we simply have to step into and obey, even if our precious wives get angry about it. And sometimes they will. Holiness is not an option. Righteousness is not an option. And as head of the household, you are obligated, if you are going to call yourself a Christian, to step into that bold place of immediate obedience to the word of God. And your family will have to follow you. Now he, early the next morning, got up and saddled his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, cut enough wood for the burnt offering, and he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day... Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. We're probably talking about somewhere between 35 and 45 miles. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. This is the first time in scripture that the word worship is used. Now, I want you to understand the context for what worship is as being defined now in the scripture. Worship is not coming into a place and singing some songs. That's not worship. Worship is not praising Jesus. Worship is when I step out in obedience to God and I bring that which I love the most to put on the altar. That's worship. So when I take that thing which I love the most, which is all of my future, and I say, Jesus, I bring that to you, and I put that on the altar, that's what is being described here as worship. 
So worship is giving all of my worth or my value to the person or thing that I am worshiping. It is laying everything on the altar. Anything short of this is not worship. It may be entertainment, but it is not worship. Worship is the deliberate choice to lay on the altar that thing which I treasure. Now, what cuts me to the core is that always with the thing that I love the most, there is some worship going on toward that thing. That's why I love it the most. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the thing which you love the most is where you have placed your heart. And so always worship is in part dealing with sin. You can't come into the presence of God and not deal with sin. As you come into the presence of God, you bring with you that thing which is most precious to you. And you submit that on the altar as a sacrifice before God. Otherwise, you are an observer. You are being entertained. You're being educated. You're being enlightened. But you are not worshiping. And I would ask you tonight, what do you love the most? Who do you love the most? What is it that has your heart? And are you willing to bring that tonight to the throne of God and lay that thing on the altar? That's worship. And if you leave this place tonight with that thing tucked away in your heart or in your pocket, you have not worshiped. Worship, by definition, is laying on the altar that which I love the most. If I bring to the Lord an animal for sacrifice in the old covenant that was diseased, as it speaks about in Malachi, what have I done? I have shamed the name of the Lord. If I bring to the altar of the Lord that thing which has no attraction to me, I don't want it anyway. Lord, you know, I I really don't like this anyway. So I'll give it to you. I mean, I, I have no issue about money, so I'll give you my money. But now success, don't talk to me about success. You know you want me to be successful, God. So I'll put my money down. For me, money is not an issue. So, okay, God, you can have all my money. Now, I have worshipped God because I have given him all of my money. Still have my lust for success. But that's tucked away in my heart where nobody sees. I still want to survive. I still want people to look at me and say, yes, he's a normal, average person. Nothing funny about him. He fits in okay. He passes with the rest of the ducks. He quacks right. He walks right. He's a duck. He's okay. Let's let him through. That I'll keep tucked away in my heart because I want to be a normal American person. I don't want anybody to look at me and say, something strange about that guy. I don't like to talk to him. He's always talking about Jesus. Don't, don't mess with him. So everybody stays away like you have halitosis. That thing which you love the most is what has to come and be laid on the altar before the Lord God of heaven and offered to him. What is it that you're loving tonight that you've brought into this place? Is it your independence, your autonomy, 
your right to decide. Yes, I can decide if I'm going to serve God or not. Do you recognize that there's a day coming when that decision will no longer belong to you? Either you'll be in hell or you'll be in heaven. And you no longer will have a decision to make about that. But right now, I can just hold that decision in my pocket. God, you treat me right, I'll serve you. You mess with me and I'll get mad and leave. So make it go my way, I'm around. Don't step on my toes. I mean, what is it you're hiding in your heart tonight? And are you willing tonight? You've come to worship the Lord in this house. Are you willing to bring to the Lord those innermost secret desires and wants that you have hung on to, that you love? Have you ever met somebody who loves to be sick? Have you ever met somebody that loves to never be sick? I mean, I I was raised in a family where my dad simply said, "I, I never get sick. So he could be as sick as he could be, and he was still going to work. He wasn't sick. He was the man. It took some time for him to have the Lord break this pride and arrogance in his heart that he could not be taken care of. The last years of his life, he recognized he finally could no longer be the strong man who never was sick and never went to a doctor. I mean, he scorned going to a doctor. That was his pride. What is it you hang on to in your pride? That you say, I will not lay that on the altar. It's mine. The only way you can come into this house tonight and worship is if you are willing to lay on the altar of God that thing which you love the most, that person that you love the most, that character trait that you love the most, that independent spirit that you treasure, that rebellion against submission, That has to go on the altar or you're not worshiping. By showing up here tonight, you have not worshiped. Worship is a verb. It's action. It's deciding. It's laying it on the altar. So now we find Abraham's son asking a question. Father, yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now at this point, Abraham believed that he was going to have to sacrifice his son. Had he understood the new covenant, he would have known he was not going to sacrifice his son. But that's for us who have watched the unfolding of history and the glorious power of Almighty God to know. So Abraham is now saying to his son, God will provide. What does he mean, God will provide? Let me put it in simple terms. I've learned one thing on this walk. That I cannot provide my own lamb. That my sin is too great. That my rebellion is too high. I cannot provide my own sacrifice. I cannot atone for my own sin. I can't by trying hard enough make restitution for my sins. 
I can't by trying hard enough serve the Lord God of heaven in a way that causes me to be acceptable before him. And Abraham knew something of that and simply replied to his son, the Lord will provide. Eve reached out and took that piece of fruit and ate it. She did it once. I've done it thousands and thousands of times. Daily, I find myself reaching out for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Daily, I find myself being enticed to lean toward my own understanding and to not walk in the light of the Lord, but in the light of my own torch. And I begin to see the horrendous backlog of guilt that has been built up by my sin against a holy God. And all I can do is cry out, Lord, you must provide the sacrifice for my sin. I cannot provide it. I have no ability to provide any restitution. I can't pay for what I've done. I can't even pay for what I've done today. My sin rises up before me. I see how quickly bubbles from my heart the seed of rebellion. That if the Lord God would take me today to heaven as I am now, I would begin to try to undercut the throne of Almighty God. The seed of rebellion is still in my soul. And I say, Almighty God, look at this seed of rebellion in me. Only your blood can remove this. Only your sacrifice. I can't sacrifice enough to take care of this issue. My hand wants to reach out and take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if I work hard enough, if I work hard enough, I might be able to succeed in getting my own sacrifice taken care of. And so I have exhausted myself trying to reach out to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and figure out this deal. Which of you has not, as a child, nay, even as an adult, played with these pieces of paper and pencil where there's drawn lines a maze, and you sit and try to figure out without having to erase, looking ahead and trying to see what the options are, choosing the way through the maze. We play life like that. As we try to calculate all the odds, and we try to look at the different possibilities, and we explore the options. And we say, if I could just be smart enough, if I could just be educated enough, if I could just talk to the right people, if I could just do enough research, if I could read enough scripture, if I could spend enough time in prayer, some way I've got to figure my way through this maze and accomplish what I desire in my heart. And Abraham said, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. 
Abraham answered in verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, I want you to understand the tremendous depth of what Abraham has just spoken. He is on his way to sacrifice his son. And yet he is saying the Lord will provide a lamb. He knows the sacrifice of his son will not atone for his sin. Because he knows that his son is a sinner like he is. And a man of sin cannot atone for sin. Some of you would sacrifice yourself to atone for your sin. Some of you would punish yourself to atone for your sin. Some of you would, okay, I need to just cut food off. Or I need to cut this off. Or I need to cut that off. I need to punish myself a little bit here. Self-punishment and self-condemnation don't result in righteousness. Ever. The harsh discipline of the body does not result in godliness. Self-condemnation, self-chastisement does not result in godliness. Because self-chastisement, by, by its very definition, is done with the belief that I can do better. And if I chastise myself sufficiently, I can do better. Which of you has done your best this day? Doing your best will kill you. None of us have done our best. We could always do more. Doing our best is impossible. Because then comes the chastisement. And then the trial and the chastisement. And then we try again. And then the chastisement. It's all wrapped up in this belief that I can bring my own sacrifice to the altar of God. And that he's going to somehow accept my sacrifice. And not his son, Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a self-help process. Christianity is not a process of self-improvement. Christianity is by very definition a dying and being born again into the family of God and living by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is not a pulling up of oneself by the bootstraps by chastising the flesh or chastising the spirit to try to force myself into some kind of better behavior. As soon as I've chastised myself and I've tried to get better behavior, I may force myself once or twice to do it. And then, of course, I fail. And then I need to just punish myself even more severely. And so the cycle goes. But you see, when we believe in self-chastisement and we believe in self-punishment, we are escaping the cross. We don't need to die. 
we can just punish ourselves a bit and get somebody else to punish us a bit, and we can do better. We have provided our own atonement. And when we provide our own atonement, it is not accepted by the Lord God of heaven. And we will die in our sin. We will die in our sin. You cannot beat yourself up enough to be righteous. You cannot chastise yourself enough to be righteous. Nowhere in scripture are we told to beat ourselves up. We're told to just go ahead and die. To let it go. That's why at the beginning of this message, I laid such heavy emphasis on bringing that most desirable and beloved object or character trait and putting it on the altar and offering it to Jesus. In the prayer closet, when we come into that prayer closet and we offer that thing to Jesus, he then receives it. And it's finished. It's over. Always the Holy Spirit will explain to you what life will be like without it. Knowing that you can never touch it again. That it no longer belongs to you. And always he will ask you, now are you willing for me to take this? And if you say yes... He will take it and you can never again go back to it. And if you are struggling tonight with some sin that has been coming time after time, the reason you're struggling with it is you're trying to break it by self-chastisement. You're trying to break it by punishing yourself rather than by finally bringing that thing to the altar and saying, Lord God, I give this to you. Take it. It belongs to you. I will not touch it again. Now talk with me, Holy Spirit, about what you want to do. How can I cooperate with you, Lord God of heaven? He bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. I have to come tonight and ask you, what are you withholding from God? Are you withholding your time? Are you withholding your dreams, your goals? Are you withholding your attitude? Are you withholding your money? Are you withholding your commitment? Are you withholding your independence? What are you withholding from God tonight? And are you willing to bring that thing and lay it on the altar and give it to him? That it would belong wholly to him. No more to touch it. And Abraham looked up. Verse 13. There in a thicket he saw a ram. Caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it. 
as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. Now please hear me. Worship happens when we bring to God that thing which we love the most. And we lay it on that altar. Give it up. But that act does not create atonement for you. The act of obedience does not provide atonement. Atonement is only offered when the Lamb of God died on Calvary's tree. That's where atonement comes from. And so by punishing yourself, by beating yourself up, by chastising yourself, no atonement is created. Atonement takes place when the Lamb of God covers you with his blood. And he takes that thing which you love the most and covers it with his blood. Then atonement is made. And the power of sin is broken by being covered by the blood of atonement. Atonement means at one. At one. That means that that thing which I have loved the most does not stand between me and God. Because I'm now at one with God. I am one with him. I'm not one with my evil desires. I'm not one with my goals and objectives. I'm not one with my dreams. I'm not one with my attitude. I'm not one with those things of independence, which I love so much. I am now at one with the Lord God of heaven because atonement has been made for me by the blood of Jesus. So when we worship, we come into the house of God and we bring that thing which we love the most and we lay it on the altar. We allow it to be covered by the blood of the lamb. And now we're no longer at one with the thing we have loved. We are at one with Jesus. We have been atoned for. We have been atoned for. And all that has separated our heart from Jesus is washed away. Now I tell you tonight, there is no sin that can rise up in your heart that cannot be atoned for. There is nothing you've done in the past that cannot be atoned for. There is no sin ever committed in your life that cannot be atoned for. But that thing has to be brought to Calvary and laid on that altar and the blood of Jesus has to cover that thing. And when it is covered by the blood, 
atonement takes place. And you are free. You are free. And Jesus then speaks into your heart and says, go and sin no more. Because you have been atoned for. You have been brought into the heart of God. And so every sin that constantly is rising up, capturing your heart, know immediately that that sin has not yet been atoned for because you're at one with it. It means that you have not brought that favorite thing that is attached to that sin. You've not brought that thing and laid it on the altar before the Lord God of heaven. Because as soon as you bring that favorite thing to the altar and it's covered by the blood of the lamb, its power is broken and you are set free. The captivity has been released and paid for. You are no longer a slave to it. You are now a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord who will provide the release for the captive. It is the Lord who will provide release for the captive. Now let me meddle a bit. Pastor, my heart is just cold and hard. What is the secret and hidden thing that you are worshiping that keeps your heart from being at one with Jesus? What is that desire? What is that goal that you have in your heart that you do not want to lay on that altar? Our hearts will be inflamed with love when we are atoned for by the blood of Jesus. Our hearts will be aflame when we are atoned for because we are at one with Jesus. The reason we walk in such hardness and coldness such distance from the Lord God of heaven is because we carry those favorite idols that have not yet been atoned for. We still think we can make it. We still think we have some talent or some ability. We still think we have some possibility of pulling it out. When we come to an utter end of ourselves and we recognize there is no possible way. I must come and worship the Lord. And I must lay before the Lord those things, those ideas, those people. I must lay that down before the Lord. Then the at one comes. Intimacy with the Lord comes. It's a natural result. And then joy leaps up in our heart. Now I have to tell you, I'm to be very honest with you. The Lord puts his finger on something and says, I want that. 
And I say, Lord, how can I live without that? If I don't have a dream that someday I can be successful, how do I live? What purpose is there to life if I can't have my dream that someday I can be a winner? That someday I can have what my heart most desires to be successful? How can I be a man? If you can't someday have that house, if you can't someday have that person, that child, if you can't someday have that whatever it is for you, is life worth living? And the Lord puts his hand on it and says, I want that. Saying, Lord, how can I live without that? I want to tell you, every time the Lord has reached out and caused me tear by saying, I want that, Ray. When I have given it to him, he has given me a new place in him. He's given me a new place in his heart. He's brought me up to higher ground. Always, without fail. When I finally came before him and said, Lord, I give to you all hope of ever being successful. I now cast it aside and I am committed to working hard not to be successful. It's not enough for me to simply lay it aside and say, okay, I won't be successful, Lord. No, he said, you have to work not to be successful. You have to tell people what I tell you to tell them, and you know as soon as I tell them, they're going to leave. So will you work at being a failure as hard as you were willing to work to be a success? When I finally said yes to that, Lord, do you know what he did in me? He took away all my anxiety. And he let me lay down in peaceful sleep at night. And he let me come and minister to you precious ones. And simply speak his word and have joy in my heart. Without any need to try to get you to do something except follow Jesus. And to speak to you words of confrontation that probably will mean you could walk away too. Praise God. I'm now utterly committed to being a failure. I'm committed to a road down, not up. I'm committed to a road of barrenness instead of fruitfulness. That Jesus might be fruitful in my life. That's joy. Do you know what a miracle that is for me? 
I just bear testimony. That's a, that's a ravishing miracle of love that God has given to me. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, and I always love it when God talks the second time. I'm always terrified the first time. But I love it when he talks a second time. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now you see, while I work for failure, God is working for success. That's why you're here. That's why God gave you to me. You are God's success, not mine. He called you. He's working in you. He's establishing in his heart his authority, not my authority. Because he spoke to me a second time and said, you will not sink if you will go to Woodbridge. And I say, thank you, Jesus. Now, do you know there's only one way I'm not going to sink if he carries me? Otherwise, I'll sink because I have given up all means of staying on top of the water. I'm out of the boat. I hope you hear tonight what I'm trying to say to your heart. As you bring those favorite things that you have cherished and you lay them on the altar before God, he will make atonement. He will bring you into his heart. He will make you one with his heart. And then he will speak a second time into your life. And he will say, because you have obeyed me, this is now what I'm going to do through the sacrifice that you have made. And you will know that it was God who said it, and you will know that it is God who is doing it. So I want to encourage you tonight. You understand tonight, this is not a message of chastisement. This is a message of encouragement. Regardless of what you think or you feel, regardless of what your senses say, run to the altar of God and put on that altar those things that are most precious to you. Even take to the altar your love for Jesus. You remember, some of you have, have read in the past of some of the great evangelists who said, like Finney, Lord, I bring heaven and I put it on the altar. And the Lord asked him, is it okay if I send you to hell? And he said, yes, if it will bring glory to your name. And after some agony of time has passed, it dawned on him. How could God send to hell 
one who totally trusted in him. And atonement was made. So that now Charles Finney was not trusting in a false vision of heaven. But now he knew he was utterly trusting in the Lord God of heaven. And that the Lord had made atonement for him. So even those favorite religious ideas have to be brought and laid on the altar before God. And as we bring even our favorite religious ideas. And we lay them on the altar. The Lord responds. With atonement. And he brings us into his heart. Because you have obeyed me. Lord God, tonight, I lift up each man and each woman in this house and I plead with you. Lord, each boy and each girl, Lord, I plead with you. Give them the courage to lay on the altar their most precious things, their most precious ideas, their most precious belongings. Lord, cause them to lay it on the altar and Lord, make atonement for them. For you are the only one who can provide atonement. Lord, tonight I do not trust in my skill or my ability. I do not trust in my hard work. I do not trust in any of my flesh. Lord, I confess I trust wholly in you, Jesus, and in the atoning blood at Calvary's tree. And Lord, I encourage, I encourage my heart by knowing of your love and your mercy and your compassion. They are new every morning. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name.
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. of his glory with great joy.